Lila, you have made a lot of great contributions, and I know you've tried your very, very best. No. Lila, please. They chose me. I'm clearly the guy. Yes, you are. You could have had it. But you didn't have what it takes. <laughs> An evil hand. I mean, come on. Who here does, huh? Leon doesn't. Charlie doesn't. You do know you gave me an evil hand, right? Men writing kill, kill, kill on everything. It's crazy. It's crazy. Anything could happen. Alan? Alan, how are you? Uh-oh. 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 Oh, it's gonna hurt in the morning. Come here. Stop it, evil hand. Stop it. I just can't control my evil hand. <laughs> Welcome to Welcome to Storybrook. I'm Matt. And I'm Tina. And this is episode four? Yes. Of season four. So this is chapter four of book six. What's the name of this book, though? The name of this book is Aunt Annihilation. Yes. And as uh, as we said, this is episode four of season four, The Apprentice. The Apprentice. Short recap today. It's just Anna being told that she needs to go see Rumpelstiltskin and Regina saying that she's going to find the author and kick his ass until he gives her a happy ending and hook trying to blackmail Rumpelstiltskin because that's never gone wrong for anyone. Right. I just want to say before we get into the episode proper that I think this episode, and you know what, maybe even this season, encapsulates the very reason we do a Once Upon a Time podcast. And the thing that we love about Once Upon a Time, because Max, this is the episode where Anna of Arendelle helps Rumpelstiltskin steal the hat from Mickey Mouse. And then Rumpelstiltskin and Captain Hook trap Mickey Mouse in the hat. You know what? Still less ridiculous than the Bo Peep stuff. But it's so fun to say. So we open on uh, Tomb Raider for the PlayStation 1. Yes, and we get the Chiron a long time ago in a land far, far away. There's a man sweeping with one of those old-timey, not-very-effective broomsticks. Yeah, he's the Sorcerer's Apprentice, so he's going to have that broom a lot. We're assuming you've seen the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Segment of Fantasia? Yeah. Well, I mean... It's that broom. I feel like everyone who hasn't seen that segment of Fantasia is at least aware of the visuals that go with it. Yeah. So he's interrupted in his sweeping by a dark one who's hiding his face, so we know it's definitely Rumpelstiltskin. The dark one says, wait, you're not the sorcerer. And Mickey says, no, I'm his apprentice. And honestly, it's got to be the most badass way anyone has ever said the word apprentice. Anyway, Mickey says that this isn't the first Dark One he's faced down, but that's really contradicted by the fact that he tries to attack the Dark One with a sword, which we all know doesn't work. Well, it's a moot point because if you've got evil in your heart, you can't open the box. And, up, oh, it turns out that the Dark One who's trying to open the box is Zuzu, the one that came before Rumpelstiltskin. Right, right. Yeah, you can't open the box unless your heart is pure. 
So it knocks him, like, way the fuck out. Pure and, good. Yes. You can't, you can't open the box unless your heart is pure good, so it knocks him the fuck out. Um, it knocks him the fuck back. He's still conscious. Yes. And uh, with that, this episode kind of becomes the first 30 minutes of Aladdin, right? Yeah. He's looking for a diamond in the rough. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Anyway, The Apprentice says, you know, dark ones have tried to get this box for forever and that's it's never going to happen. And then the show gives us a fucking Gilligan cut to Rumpelstiltskin having the box. What he says specifically is, every dark one has tried, but no dark one will ever possess what is in that box, which gets said a few more times throughout the episode. Yeah, they're the arc words for this episode. And honestly, I appreciate how Rumpel, like gets a knock-in at arc words later at the end of this episode. Also, side note, Zuzu teleported away as soon as it became apparent that he couldn't open the hat box. So the Sorcerer's Apprentice is literally saying this to nobody. Well, he's saying it to us. He's actually, this is pretty much him looking directly in the camera. Well, considering the other thing that we learned about the Sorcerer's Apprentice, it makes sense, right? That he would be concerned that the narrative is filling this in. I honest to God do not remember the relationship between the sorcerer and the author. I remember there was one, sort of. We're getting into the part of the show where my knowledge of what happens gets kind of hinky. Well, your memory of what happens, because we watched all these together. Um, But seriously, can we, can we talk about the Gilligan cut that happens? Because the show wants us to take it seriously. The show wants us to be so, like, brooding and action-packed. And there's so much stuff that made me crack up unintentionally. So Rumpel gets the uh, box open in the present day because, whoop, irony, and uh, the swirling galaxy hat pops out. It's really obvious CG, but not in a bad way. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's fake, but it's fake the way a cartoon is fake. Speaking of cartoons and fake, the uh, intro sequence has the broom walking angrily through the snowy woods. Yeah, the animated broom as they become animated in the Sorcerer's Apprentice short. Emma and Henry pull up in front of Granny's, and he uh, gives her a little push into Hook reenacting the scene with Graham from episode 7 of season 1. Yeah, he's throwing darts at the dartboard because he's Emma's new love interest, I guess. Yeah, and Emma walks in and she's all, Hey, so I realize that I've been avoiding having the talk with you all season, but why don't we go out on a date and make this official? Okay, so the Hook-Emma thing swaps a lot of gendered tropes around. So when she asks him out, he like slips and throws the dart in a way that misses the dartboard, the way you would expect a romantic comedy heroine to do. Hmm. And then he... Doesn't stab anyone, though. That's true. Unlike, uh, say, A Christmas Prince. Hmm. <laughs> God, that movie. And then he calls out the fact that, as the guy, he should be asking her out. And she's like, I, I should have known that you'd be old-fashioned because you're, like, 300 years old. And he's like, let's not focus on that because it makes this super fucking creepy. But he also says he's, like, going to reclaim the traditionally masculine role here. And he's going to be the one who plans the date. But then he explicitly ties it to reverse gendered ideas because he says that he's the one who's good at planning things, whereas she's more of just a monster hunter. So even when he tries to reclaim the gender tropes, they like resist. 
They res- the tropes themselves resist it. You're giving this massively way too much credit. Hey, hey. I was a lit major. I'm used to way over reading the text. Because I think more of the impulse is, I'm a man, so I'm good at long-term planning, unlike you, who's just good at, you know, reactionary emotional shit. See Rumpelstiltskin and Regina's respective attitudes towards villainy. All right, well, that is that is there. That's definitely there. But he's going to plan out the evening, and she's like, I don't pillage on the first date. And he's like, I think we're going to get at least a little plundering in. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's going to plunder her booty. Now that their plans are made, Emma leaves and notices, oh no, you guys, there's a bunch of water around her car. And you know what water is? Not native to New England in any way. Yeah, you know what else it is? Former ice. So Rumpel goes into his shop where Hook is dramatically sitting. How long was Hook dramatically sitting waiting for him? I mean, as long as it took. Hook does a little recap where he's like, I know about your dagger. I'm blackmailing you so I can have both of my hands back for my date with Emma because this act, as an actor, I'm very sick of sticking my hand in this uh, fake hook thing. Which is weird because, first of all, this recap was already recapped in the recap. And secondly, that's so gross. That's such a gross reason to want your hand back. It's okay to want your hand back, but, like, I can only halfway feel up Emma. Yeah, he, he wants, uh, he's like, I can't properly grope my sort of girlfriend unless I've got two hands. Ugh. Well, we, we both know David didn't mind hook jobs, but he wants something nicer for uh, Emma. Everything about that sentence is so disturbing to me. Why, why did you introduce the phrase hook jobs into my head? Rumpel warns him. He's like, okay, fine, I'll reattach your hand, but be warned. This is the hand of a rascally, scoundrelly man. And as soon as it's back on you, you've seen a horror movie from the 50s. You have an evil hand attached to you, it starts taking over your mind and making you kill people. Or the 90s Seth Green movie, Idle Hands, with the same plot. Is that the one where he's like a zombie? No, no, he has the hands of a serial killer and that makes him attack people. But when he kills his friend, his friend becomes a zombie. Okay. So I wasn't conflating two different movies. I thought Seth Green ended up being a zombie in that movie. Maybe he also ends up a zombie later. I just know that he sticks a knitting needle through his friend's eye and that friend becomes a zombie. Wasn't that movie like a horror comedy? Yeah, it was a It was a horror comedy. With just, both words in heavy quotation marks. I'm just saying, it's a remake of an idea that's been used so many times before. There was a Simpsons episode about it. And there was a 30 Rock joke about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Futurama also did something with it. Well, they well, had, well, they had the, the devil's, devil's hands. hands. Yeah. All right, I'll play things. Yeah. So anyway, basically, basically, hands are a big thing. This is all a moot point, though, because as we all know, Hook's not really that bad of a person. And all of the bad stuff that he's done, all of the stuff that you could say was pretty villainous, like pushing uh, Bell over the town line. Yeah, or when he kidnapped her. I thought we were done with that. What are you What are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? I was reversing it. I wanted to see if you'd do it this time. We're... Shooting Bella for the town line. Wait, what are you... I... I'm not cutting any of this. You told me you were done with that joke. <laughs> you just throw it at me. Anyway. I was reversing the gender tropes. I... <laughs> I am so... I don't even... I can't even with you right now. 
Anyway. Uh, evil stuff Hook's done. Yes! Yes! The evil stuff he's done, like shooting Belle over the town line, hmm. or threatening to kill Belle, that all happened after he lost his hand. Punching Belle in the face. Why is Belle okay hanging out with him ever? Yeah, I mean, it's not okay that he takes his hatred of Rumpelstiltskin out on Belle. It's really gross. It but is... she's where he keeps his heart. Okay, Hook, shut the fuck up. I would have no problem if he's attacking Rumpel, by the way, which... Hold on to that for later. Hmm. Nothing evil about attacking Rumpelstiltskin. But also, I have this... As far as villainy goes, no, he definitely, in real world morality, should not be let off the hook, so to speak, for attacking Vel. But in the morality of Once Upon a Time, apparently if it's about true love, everything is forgivable. And that is definitely about true love. Well, he did... It's not like he threw a baby into a death pit. Well, I was thinking about the other thing he did, which is also after he lost his hand, where he killed Blackbeard, which allegedly doomed Eric, although apparently not, because Ariel found him immediately. Okay, see, I have no problem with that, because he had no obligation to sacrifice his ship for a vague idea that Blackbeard would ever tell him where Eric really was, especially when... Ariel already had the ability to go, like, everywhere in the ocean super fast and could definitely find him, which is what happened. Also, locator spells exist. Yeah, that episode. He, yeah, I, I see nothing wrong with him killing Blackbeard. He had no obligation to help Ariel. But apparently the old evil that Hook used to have in him will re-florp into him now that he has his old pirate hand. Honestly, he's much more likely to just go enlist in the British Navy. Except not, because there's an ice wall around the town. And he wasn't from England. Oh, please. He was definitely from England. There are no Pegasi in England. Not anymore. They're Greek. Anyway, so Mary Margaret's... Wait, wait. You don't think the British Navy can get to Greece? Now, if there are Pegasi flying around. Well, there aren't now. They killed the last one. The Brits did? Yes, the Brits killed the last Pegasus. Let's jump into the show. Yeah, Mary Margaret's giving Elsa the town... Census. The census-i. The census-i. Which, which apparently recorded who was living in the town before and after the second curse and has their pre-curse names and okay. curse names. It's... So I'm supposed to believe that the curse created tomes and tomes of census records? That have... Not just census records, but census records that have stuff about people's fairy tale identities in them. Oh, I don't think it has stuff about fairy tale identities. Then how useful would it be at all? Well, somehow they know somehow they know the Snow Queen's human name that she's going by, although I guess that makes sense because they would have known her as the person who ran the ice cream shop forever. Yeah. Which is Sarah Fisher. Is that a pun? Sarah Fisher. I... Is that a reference? I couldn't tell you why. So Elsa's going through these records to try and find any clue about her sister, which, why would that help at all? But okay. they're, they're trying to see if Anna came over with the curse. But you know why that doesn't help? Because Anna probably wasn't named Anna when she came over, because only David kept his real name. So honestly, any name they don't recognize could be Anna. Yeah, this is, this is nonsense. Yeah. What are they doing? Unless the census does say your fairy tale name, in which case... What was Regina doing when she created those logs? 
Which, by the way, there's no way she did. She is not that organized. She didn't even make a courthouse. Also, there are apparently two separate records from the first curse and then the second curse, which really? Wait, why, why are would the first they curse need... records still there? Yeah, and, oh, uh, yeah, especially, yeah, because the original Storybrook was destroyed. And, <sighs> This plot is nonsense. It makes no sense. Emma's been getting ready for her date, and she comes out in this dress that's fine. It's fine. It's not very flattering for Emma. Not so much the cut, which is fine, but the color... Emma being a pale blonde, she really shouldn't be wearing white like that. She really needs black or red, something with a pop of color. That's what I was thinking, because I was thinking back to the uh, dress she wore at the ball. Which was red. The bright red one. And was gorgeous. Yeah, it really made her pop. This one kind of washes her out a little bit. It definitely does. Like, they want to make her look young and virginal, especially so that the stuff with David being all protective dad lands better barf yeah it's not very good and then elsa like slut shames her elsa's like oh it's a nice corset but where's the rest of the dress and everyone's acting like she's oh they're like oh my god emma you're so beautiful why is why is elsa criticizing her for wearing so little clothing given what elsa's wearing uh, it doesn't make any sense you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of when Aurora asked Emma what her jacket was. Right, like they're not familiar with overcoats. Yeah. In fact, she asked Emma if the jacket was a corset, which... That's not even what corsets look... Corsets, not... corsets are underwear. They go under. Anyway. And that's clearly a dress. It's not, like... Honestly, it's slightly shorter. It, it's like mid-calf. Yeah. Like... If they had had Elsa and Anna wearing actually like full medieval dresses then it would be one thing for her to think that that was the shift part of a dress right it it doesn't really look like a shift but okay okay maybe she thinks it's the shift part which by the way she should ask if it was a shift not a corset because it's clearly not a corset and like the the people behind once upon a time don't know what corsets are like the customers on this show are incredible i guess they didn't feel like running across the hall to ask any of them what pieces of clothing are called but anyway, I would forgive Elsa if she was wearing something that was constructed like that, but she's wearing the, her own slinky little gown. So, no, that doesn't make any sense. But you know what it does? It does remind me of that scene in Clueless where Cher comes out in her little white shift dress, and her dad's like, okay, that is not clothing. She says, it's a dress. And he says, says who? And she says, Calvin Klein, which is such a 90s joke. It's a super, super 90s joke. So... Hook knocks at the door and uh, Emma opens it. He's like, hi, with both of his hands. That was waving. I realize this is a visual medium, so you couldn't see me doing the double-handed wave. It's not a visual medium. It's an unvisual medium. Ooh. Anyway, everyone is shocked at both his hand and the fact that he's wearing normal clothes. But his normal clothes are black jeans and a leather jacket, so it doesn't look that different from what he wears normally. Yeah. And he gives her a single rose, which, okay, what's she going to do with that? I'm sorry, I got, I have this thing with that. I I once had flowers given to me uh, uh, at the beginning of a date, and then I just had to carry around flowers for the rest of the date. So it's like a nice gesture, but it was well, really annoying. did the person pick you up at your house? No. Okay, you give flowers to someone when you pick them up at their house, then they have a place to put them. Yeah. That's why you do that. Well, I got them at a restaurant. That's weird. Yeah. But anyway, Emma makes a joke about, she's like, so what do I call you now? Captain Hand, which is pretty solid, Emma. 
that he's like, you could call me by my actual name instead of this cruel nickname you've all been calling me by. Which, solid point. Right? It's like when Legion calls out the X-Men for his codename, where he's like, it's kind of a dick move that you've all been calling me a codename based on a mental disorder I have. Anyway, David does the gross, concerned dad thing, which is gross when your daughter is 16, let alone when she's 29. Don't you know that this adult woman's sexuality belongs to me, her father? Ugh, looks all like, she's in good hands, and David's That's like, what I was afraid of. <laughs> especially now that you've got two of them, Ugh. which is super gross. And also, now I'm thinking about Hook's hands. And, and you know what? And you know what, David? Now Emma's thinking about Hook's hands. So, good job. Hope you're happy. Well, Hope you're be... pleased with yourself. He probably is pleased with himself, because if they stick with hand stuff, she won't get one of the thousands of STDs Captain Hook probably has. Now I'm thinking about the thousands of STDs that Hook has. Not just STDs, magical STDs. You know who probably has wind chimes for a dong? Killian Jones. <laughs> well, okay, that's why it's so good that he's in Storybook, because now there's penicillin for the non-magical STDs, and I'm sure Regina would be happy to clear up the magical ones. Wait, Well, because she doesn't wait. want Emma catching them. Of course. Max. Mm-hmm. Does true love's kiss cure magical STDs? It would, wouldn't it? Because they're like curses, right? Yeah. I mean, it cures infertility potion. You know what? I'm ready for my career as a magical pharmacist. Just give everyone the water from Lake Nostos. Uh, that's how they, that's how Lake Nostos got drained, Max. Wow, okay, wait, what if, what if magical pharmacists are also kind of matchmakers? Because True Love's Kiss is like a cure-all. For the most part, magical pharmacists just try to find your true love for you. Anyway. Just saying. Just saying it's an easy job. Emma and Hook leave, and the remaining people are like, Haha, it's so funny, the whole pressuring your family members' romantic interests so that they know who's... In charge. in charge of their sexuality. Ugh, God, I hate this trope. It's like the worst trope. It really is. And I know it's not, I mean, I guess it is a trope even though it happens in real life, but nothing says I don't respect your autonomy as a person than by trying to dictate the terms of a grown-ass person's sexual relationships. Yep, that's pretty much it. Speaking of terrible people, okay, so Anna's good right yeah honest good you know what's a good thing to do what a good thing to do is to upon seeing somebody who has let's say an unusual skin condition go oh what the fuck is wrong with your face <clears throat> seriously fuck you anna she's the worst <laughs> i forgot how much she pissed me off until this I remember being charmed by this episode, but I was watching it, and I'm like, this is another thing where I'm like, why is Anna supposed to be a good person? Okay, thing the first, the reason this episode, the reason you remember this episode as being charming is because Robert Carlyle is clearly so excited to be getting to play Hammy past Rumpelstiltskin again, and everything he does is delightful. Oh yeah, no. Robert Carlyle is in perfect form here. That man is a professional, and he is killing it this episode. Honestly, I think if it wasn't for his scenes, I would really hate this episode. But the other thing is, 
Anna gave me a revelation about Once Upon a Time morality. And that's that the opposite of darkness in the morality system of Once Upon a Time is not goodness, it's niceness. Well, see, that's the thing. I was going to do the whole, you know, into the woods, you're not good, you're not bad, you're just nice. Except she's not nice. She's, like, ugh, she's being so awful to Rumpelstiltskin. Which I know he's the dark one. And but blah, she doesn't blah, blah. know that. Yeah, she doesn't know that. She just knows that he's some dude with weird skin. And she's... It, it just... It reminds me of her thing with David, where she talked about how much his dad sucked because he was an alcoholic. And I'm like... Well, I'm not... I'm sorry we all can't have perfect... I'm not saying that her being nasty about his skin condition was... A nice thing. I'm saying that it was not a good thing. A good person wouldn't have commented like that. Yeah. Anyway, she also says her name is Joan, and Rumpelstiltskin tells her that that's bullshit, and that he knows it's bullshit because he's Rumpelstiltskin, his whole deal is knowing about names, and as you know, I love it when they remind us that Rumpelstiltskin's whole deal is knowing names. So, which, again, it her whole thing where she's like, I'm on a secret mission makes no sense, which he points out because he's like, okay, but you, you're you looking for information. You're going to come here and lie to me about who you are and then ask me questions about your parents? She has not thought this mission through. Which is very clear. And she asks, she's like, okay, so you know my deal, you know why I'm here. Why did my parents come seek you out? And he's like, uh, maybe it's because of the reason they put in your mom's diary. Except he doesn't say that. He says he'll make a deal with her to explain what her parents wanted. And she's like, oh, I'll do anything because she's terrible at negotiating. Wasn't she possibly going to be a leader of a country? I mean, I know Elsa was supposed to take over, but surely her parents knew that there was a good chance that she would end up in charge, given Elsa's whole accidentally turning everything to ice thing. She's a person who didn't realize she could go outside. I know we talked about this before and you said that the servants wouldn't let her leave because... Yeah, because they knew that... Because they knew that there was no way Elsa could lead and Anna was going to have to take over. Yeah, but there was no reason for her to literally seal herself inside the castle. Like, she could have gone around the town and talked to people and stuff. Like, she isolated herself for literally no reason. I... Her parents were her parents, and then the servants that came after them. Everyone was terrible at getting these girls ready to lead kingdoms. You know, I came at Anna pretty hard because of the whole, you know, don't say awful things to people with, you know, physical differences thing. But she is probably one of the worst socialized children out there. Yeah, definitely. You know what? Maybe, maybe Arendelle deserved to be taken over by Hans and his stupid brothers. I'm just, yeah, like, they'd probably be at least kind of good at leading people. <laughs> They've probably met other people. Uh, Anna doesn't seem to understand that other people aren't rich. Well, yeah, there's that too. I mean, she just took David's horse. Yeah. But Rumpelstiltskin- That's like half of their wealth. But Rumpelstiltskin tells her that all she has to do to get the information on her parents is take a little bottle of something and put it in the tea of a man who probably eats babies. Yep. Yep. Eats babies. So she goes skipping through the woods. To to, the baby eater. And shock of all shocks, it's Mickey. It is! It's the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And you can tell because he's the guy from earlier in the episode. But also he's got that same broom 
And he's still sweeping. And uh, she's like, hi, I'm a stranger. Can I come into your house and totally not murder you? And he says, sure, there are tea and biscuits in the house. And she's like, oh, those are actually biscuits, not like ground up children bones. I'm so surprised. And he's like, what? And she's like, oh, it's just that everyone says that you eat children because you're a monster person. But you don't look like a monster to me. You're right. She is poorly socialized. And he's like, it seems weird that you would come into my house if you thought I ate children, but okay. He really does just roll with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got magic, so he's probably not sweating some pink lady. Although, I mean, let's think about that. He's got magic, so he's probably not too worried about being poisoned by Anna. But as we know from later in this episode, he's already been poisoned once. Like, maybe he should be a little more cautious. Just like a tiny bit more cautious. But luckily for him, Anna can't bring herself to poison this kindly old man who doesn't blatantly eat children. Yeah, this guy who invited her in and offered to let her stay. I mean, he didn't super deny eating children at any point here. He's just like, oh, is that what they're saying about me? Ha ha ha. Anna's whole experience here is like when you're white in the South, and you're like, oh, the racism isn't as bad as I was led to believe because people aren't racist to you. And then someone will say something super racist, and you'll be like, oh, it is. You just treat me with courtesy because I am white. That's what's going on with Anna here. She's like, oh, he seems like a nice guy and he hasn't explicitly tried to eat me in the last 10 seconds, but that's not his deal. His deal is he's a child eater. I know that's not his deal. I know he's fine. I know Anna's right, but you know. I mean, we we honestly don't know. I mean, he could eat children. Just because you're nice to a grown adult woman doesn't mean that you're not a baby eater. That's all I'm saying. Well, he was mildly polite to her for like three minutes, which is more than Anna has managed with anyone she's talked to in the show up to this point, so. Strong point, strong point. And since we now know that this show is about being nice, not about being good, the fact that he was polite and engaged in household customs for a few minutes means that he is not dark and cannot be killed with impunity. So she throws out the poison and joins him for tea. Meanwhile, Lady in the Tramp, Yep, yep. In the next scene, we're back in Storybrooke on Emma and Hook's date. And they are in the Italian restaurant from Lady and the Tramp. And Lady and the Tramp are sitting there eating that fucking spaghetti with, like, the one noodle that they suck between their mouths. Okay, seriously, who did Pongo piss off to be the one Disney animal that did not get turned into people? Yes, because Lady and the Tramp are not dogs now. They are humans. Also, it just so happens that this night, they're sucking on pasta in that one really notable way. So, does that mean that they just do that every day? Every meal, they sit down and they eat pasta like that. Their friends must hate them. I'm just sad we missed the part of uh, that scene where the guy noses the uh, meatball over to her. Because that would be deeply hilarious. That would make the scene so, so much better. So, Hook asks if she likes the restaurant and she's all, Well, I like that it's not Granny's. Right? And he makes a joke about the fact that she was on a date with a flying monkey and she's like, yeah, and he ended up dead at the end of that. So let's see how this goes for you. He orders some white wine because, I don't know, she uh, she makes a joke about they're him. Because they're going to order fish. Uh, yeah. That's what white wine goes with. They should be. Okay, this would be a horrible time, but I was just thinking about that guy that Cora turned into a fish and then Hook kicked into the lake. 
So They could conceivably be eating him. Yeah. I was thinking about how I have this friend who went to an Italian restaurant in New York, and then his snobby roommate was like, oh, you had pasta? Because when I think of Italian food, I think of fish. And it was like, you're trying to sound like you're cultured, like you're more cultured than him, but bitch, the reason Italians eat fish is because they're on the fucking Mediterranean. If you're not in Italy... Italian food means pasta, so shut the fuck up. That's a solid point. Yeah. Sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. Well, there's also a big thing. I did a semester abroad in Florence. I don't know if I've mentioned that here. I don't think you have. I did a semester abroad in Rome. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, while I was there, I learned a whole bunch of stuff that we consider iconic Italian that isn't, like, you know... Like pizza? Oh, no, I was thinking, like, how people think of, par- like, Parmesan cheese as a thing that you can get in America, but you can't because it's only made in this one part of Italy called Parma. Oh, okay. And, like, what's called Parmesan cheese is not Parmesan cheese because it doesn't come from this one specific place. Like champagne. Yeah. Man. Let's go back to Italy and just eat for, like, a month. That food was amazing. It was really good. I got into boar there. You know, boar is really good. It combines, like, the best parts of pork with the best parts of beef. I didn't have any boar while I was there. Oh, you should have. It's so good. Well, I was in, like I said, I was in Rome. I think you have to go to, like, Tuscany or Florence to get boar. Uh, also, have you seen boar? They are fucking huge. Oh, yeah, no. Like, that's... I was just reading this article about how uh, meat e- it's meat eaters who are sanctimonious to vegetarians and not the other way around which i think is actually probably true and that and it was written by a vegetarian who's talking about how she gets mansplained the the food chain whenever she mentions that she's a vegetarian to a man and he's like you know that they would eat us given the chance and normally that's really obnoxious man thing to say but boars would fucking kill you given the chance yeah like people don't think about it there was a thing in a simpsons episode where they mentioned boar and they had like this little tiny pig on a thing and i'm like no boar are like not bear sized but close they're like giant ass animals that's why people got killed during boar hunts all the time Again, in Greek mythology and also real life. And also Game of Thrones. In Game of Thrones, Robert Baratheon dies by being gored by a boar. And Cersei Lannister is all, like, taking credit for his death because she convinced his steward to get him drunk before he went on the boar hunt. But boars fucking kill people all the time. Yeah, seriously, you had no hand in that. Also, he totally would have gotten drunk whether whether you, like, egged it on or not. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Emma's not relaxing. She's like, I kind of don't want to get drunk on our date, you know, in case Snow Queen attacks. And also, it's not a good idea to get drunk on the first date. And he's like, ah, screw that. Hey, dude, white wine. But who else happens to be drinking at this Italian restaurant? Oh, hey, it's Will Scarlet, that guy I know from last episode and who apparently you have a whole history with because you've watched Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Yeah, and... Just what bad luck for him. There are two restaurants in town and a bar, which, why was he not drinking at the White Rabbit? Oh my God. Why was he? Maybe he's trying to get away from Alice in Wonderland themed bullshit right now. 
but then what happens later in the episode happens. Well, maybe he had to get drunk to do that. Maybe grabbing that book was the fairy tale equivalent of drunk dialing your ex. So, I made a whole bunch of hand gestures there. You couldn't see them. Is that because there's stuff going on in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland that you want to talk about and you can't because I haven't seen it? Yes. But, anyway. Uh, so, Will sees Emma and he's like, oh shit, the sheriff, I better get out of here. And then immediately <laughs> runs into her table. He's like, I better make as big a scene as possible so that she definitely sees me. He runs into the table and Hook's like, Hook pulls a David and, you know, grabs him and threatens to beat him to death. And it, I love this because Emma starts to chase after him. And then she's like, you know what? I'm on a date and I don't really care about this low-level thief. And also the entire town is surrounded by ice. So where does he think he's running off to? The town shrinks and grows, like, as needed. So he could theoretically evade her capture forever. Yeah, but what did he really do wrong? He said he robbed a bunch of people. She didn't see that. Nobody's reported any thefts. Well, he stole from the Snow Queen who has attempted to murder a couple of people by this point. Yeah, that's true. But Hook's all uh, freaked out because his hand made him grab a guy and shake him a little bit. Yep, yep. Anyway, in Regina's vault, Regina's wearing a great suit. Like, Regina is showing the way you move away from your signature color without it being an issue. Really? I'm... Yeah. I was happy to see her in a suit again, but... She's wearing... The color scheme did not work for me. She's wearing a gray suit with a powder blue camisole underneath it. And I think these colors look really great with her skin tone, even though they veer away from her traditional black and purple. I don't know. The colors didn't work for me. I do like the cut of the suit, and I think it's a good outfit, but... I just don't really feel like blue's her color. I feel like she needs stronger tones. I don't know. I think she's really pulling off a jewel tone here. Anyway, Henry's kind of poking around and she mentions that uh, you have to be careful around this magic stuff unless you want to spend your teenage years as a toad, which I really wanted her to start teaching Henry magic because it really, like, the way, the whole way this episode goes, it seems to start setting up henry learning magic see that would be cool especially because there because there was a time there in season two where she was going to start teaching him and then that just kind of faded away well she offered and he was like no you're evil magic's evil right although he abandoned that horse years ago at this point oh man so instead she she's going through her magic stuff and she's like well looks like there's nothing that can counteract uh the Snow Queen's curse, and Henry's like, uh, obviously true love could, and Robin doesn't love Marion, and that's why the kiss didn't work. Like, that's really obviously what happened. And and Regina's like, okay, yeah, that's not a good thing, though, for a lot of really complicated reasons, which is true. Yeah, because Henry's kind of pushing for her to get together with Robin, and and she's like, it's really more complicated than that. She's like, in reality, married people have relationships that, you know, go through ebbs and flows, but they've made a commitment to each other and they have a child with each other. So I really can't, in good conscience, step in between them right now, even though his feelings for me might right this moment burn stronger than they burn for her. And it's actually a really interesting, mature adult storyline that, we cut away from because the show has no interest in exploring that and then also it's going to be completely undercut later because this the show doesn't know what parts of itself are interesting 
So, Hook and Emma are ending their night in front of her door, which, you know, the door to the apartment she shares with her son and her parents and Elsa, apparently. Yep. She's like, hey, you want to come in and get busy in the same room because it's a loft as my parents and Elsa? He's like, yeah, maybe not so much. Emma's hair looks weird. It looks 50s bouffante. It's weird. It looks like Sandy's hair in Greece. It does. It also had a little bit of a Betty Cooper vibe to it. Oh, it totally does. Anyway, Hook kisses her, and then he touches her. Back with his hands. And then he's like, oh no, my hand is evil, even though we haven't seen him do anything with it. Yeah, it's really weird because his hand travels up the back of her neck and then it sort of rubs her hair a little and he starts looking at it all terrified. It feels like they wanted to do a thing where like he's kissing her and he puts his hand in her hair and like pulls her hair roughly or something, but they didn't do enough to make us know that's what he was about to do. Or like kind of grabs her throat or something. But but... it didn't even move towards her throat. It's very weird. I don't know what they were going for with that. But you know what is horrifying? Uh, opening the door after a hot, sexy kiss to see Mary Margaret's weird, severed, floating head grinning at you. Yes. It's, well, it's not her severed head, but for some reason she kind of fades into the couch, so it just looks like her face is coming at you. Well, yeah, she dressed to match the couch. Emma opens the door, and Mary Margaret and David are just sitting on the couch, like, staring at the door. It's creepy. It's not okay. You know what? She didn't even dress to match the couch. It's just something about the outfit faded into it. So she's just like, tell me everything. What's Hook's tongue taste like? And David's all like, I already know what Hook's tongue tastes like. You don't have to go over that. Everyone knows what Hook's tongue tastes like. It tastes like rum and regret. With just a hint of herpes. Which is fine. Everyone has herpes. Thank you. We've discussed this ad nauseum in a previous episode. I think I cut most of that out. I left enough. You did to... not. Oh, I didn't? Oh, well, good, because people need to know. It's not a big deal. So, uh, Will Scarlet is trying to break into a library, and Hook catches him trying to break into a library, and Will's like, you know, libraries just let you take books, and Hook's like, fuck you, I'll beat you to death. Yeah, and then he beats him with, like, his new hand, his new old hand. And then it's like, oh no, what have I become? A guy who punches guys who are breaking into libraries in the middle of the night. Yeah, and he has a, he's like, if you tell anyone about this, you're a dead man. Oh God, my hand's so evil. And was like, this is like, I'm sorry, this isn't even David level stuff. David does worse stuff than this on a daily basis. David does worse stuff than this to get a cup of coffee. (laughs) What's funny is, I, I do think Belle is still living in the library. Because remember when they stole that house, she said that they were just stealing it for the honeymoon. Hmm. So I don't think they're living there. So I think Belle is still living in the library, which means that what Hook just did in its best possible light could be seen as protecting Belle. Wait, wouldn't Belle be living with Rumple now? Oh, I mean, presumably. I guess when people get married, they do start living together. Yeah. I guess that's what people do. I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't be living in the library, but they're probably living wherever the hell Mr. Uh, Gold lives. We never really did see where Mr. Gold lives, did we? Because yeah, he's got the pawn shop. Oh, wait, does he have rooms in the back of the pawn shop? He might. And we know he owns a bunch of buildings around town, so it, they've got options. Yeah, does he still? What's the Storybrooke economy? 
Oh my god. What is it even? All it does is highlight how ridiculous the very idea of capitalism is. Once upon a time made me a communist. <sighs> There's a tagline for you. Yep. But back in fairy tale land, Anna's like, I totally poisoned that old man. Now tell me about my folks. And Rumpelstiltskin's like, oh good, now he'll live. Because that was the antidote to the poison I gave him earlier. And she's like, what? I didn't actually give it to him because I thought it was poison. What have I done? And he's like, Meh. Honestly, he's adorable in this scene. I love it. He's very blasé about it. He, he shows, he, he pulls up in a uh, crystal ball uh, Mickey, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, being turned into a mouse. Oh, look at that. This uh, show is so clever sometimes. Yeah. If it does say so itself. He's a white mouse, which seems weird because that's not what Mickey Mouse is, but okay. Yeah. But she's like, oh no, that, you know. What have I done? She runs back to the Sorcerer's Apprentice's house and she's looking for him, but she can't find him. And Rumpel's like, oh, be careful. You don't want to step on him. And he's like, look, this whole thing was really not about him. It was a test of you. It was a test to see if you would... Face your darkness, but basically be too nice to poison this old man, which you were. So there you go. And she's like, well, turn him back from out of a mouse. And he says, I can't because I don't want to. It's great. Robert Carlyle. God, I love when they have him just be Rumpelstiltskin. He's just so charming and engaging and it works so much better than the moral ambiguity thing. I mean, he's good in everything because he's one of those actors who, like, always tries all the time. Yeah, and I mean, he's he's still trying when other people have given up long, long, long past. So. Yeah. I mean, we are starting to get into the nobody-giving-a-shit seasons of Once Upon a Time. Honestly, from a story perspective, I know I've talked about how they needed to kill Rumpelstiltskin ages ago, but from a from a pleasure-to-watch perspective, thank God they didn't get rid of him. So... Anna points out that she was never going to poison the old man, so it's not a real test, because unlike Rumpelstiltskin, she's nice, and I'm like, did you miss the beginning of the episode, where you were a horrible, horrible person to someone you didn't know because they had different skin than you? God, that is exactly what happened. Rumpel brings up, he's like, okay, then you didn't fulfill the terms of our agreement, so you're gonna live here forever, and your sister's gonna go crazy and murder everyone in your home country. That's on you. Have fun with that. And basically what he's doing is goading her to attack him, so that she will actually face her darkness in attacking him, and then turn away from it. Which only adds to my point about this being about being nice and not being good, because Rumpelstiltskin is an evil troll it would be net good to kill him and it's just not nice yeah but she pulls a sword on rumple and she's like uh let me go and give me all of the things i want or i'll stab you and he's like uh no you won't you know what i'm not gonna do anything go for it stab me because i know you don't have the balls to do it and she's like you're right i don't have the balls to do it <laughs> Yeah, basically. And that that proves that she's good? Nope, that proves that she's nice. Mm. She lacks the darkness. And and now I'm I'm so on this kick now. The opposite of darkness is niceness. But, and he's like, oh, so, turns out that's all I needed. 
And then he takes one of her tears because she's crying. And yeah, they totally stole this from Buffy. This this entire thing is stolen from Buffy. Yeah, she starts crying over it, and he takes her tear and is like, "That is what I actually needed," which is absolutely what happens in season seven of Buffy. Storyteller. Yeah, when they bring Andrew down there, and they're all like, and they're like, "This portal to hell was opened with blood, so now we need your repentant blood." And then he starts crying, and then they're like, "Just kidding, we only needed your tears. Just needed to make you cry." He has this speech about how love is a weapon. Yeah. And, and she's like, it's not. And he's like, it is. It's just that most people don't know how to use it. Which I think is interesting, uh, given his relationship with Cora and her thing about how love makes you weak. And he takes the Cora thing from a different angle, which is Emma had the love makes you strong because love powers her magic. So love makes her better at violence. But well, he and Cora really did love each other. And honestly, that's why she won. Like, she knew that love was a weapon, too. It's just she... She knew enough to take out her own heart. Oh, their love story is so good and tragic. It's so much better than the Rum Bell story. Because it's, like, truly tragic. It's a love that should have been perfect, but was brought down by the imperfections of the people dealing with the story. So there's a secret pan- there's a secret door in the floor which leads to I Tomb don't know Ra- the sorcerer's vault. Uh, it leads to Tomb Raider for the PlayStation One. Yeah, which is a pretty big tomb just to hold this one hat. But I guess it's a pretty powerful hat, so okay. And now that he has a, a the tears of a person with a true good heart, he can unlock the box and get the hat, which is what he does. Back in Storybook, we see Rumple getting in his car. And getting accosted by Hook, who's like, um, the hand is fucking evil. I need you to take off the hand. And Rumpel's like, what did I tell you? And Hook's like, you're going to want the hand off or it's going to make me do something that I'll regret. And it's like, you know, I mean, not to not to start singing your tune here, but he did kill your wife. You probably wouldn't regret doing something bad to him. Oh, but. We've decided not to focus on that as much because these characters are going to be around forever, so. Uh. Well, no, but it's the same as with Belle. I I think this is the problem with Once Upon a Time not getting rid of characters and bringing in new ones. Like, how can Belle possibly be around Hook after everything he's done to her? How can Hook possibly be around Rumpel after everything he's done? But Rumpel's like, hey, I switched out the daggers again for like the 7,000th time this season. We're four episodes in on. So now she has the real dagger and you don't have the leverage you once had, which you didn't have anyway, because, you know, I can hear it when people call my name, whether or not they have the dagger. And he says that he'll take the hand off if Hook does something evil with him. Hook stabs him with the hook, which I guess he was just carrying around. And Rumpel's like, hey, remember the one time that's never, ever worked? Yeah. He's like, you literally tried to stab me with a hook before, and it didn't work then. What, what, what's your end game here, man? Well, that was what convinced him to take off his hand and replace it with the hook in the first place. So maybe Killian was trying to play it. Oh, oh, so, good point. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, it's, it's just. I know, that's not what he's doing. He's not that smart. Evil hand. Sorry, evil hand. Okay, so back in Storybrooke, the most amazing thing happens, which is that the radio station is playing. 
Oh my god, the radio station is amazing. Okay, first of all, I just choose to believe that it's the three little pigs who run the radio station. Hmm. They refer to themselves as the original party animals, and the station is W-O-L-F, the wolf. Oh god. Okay. They give the weather in Storybrooke, which is in the 70s in town and in the 30s out by the ice wall. They get a song request from Rip Ram Winkle. And why do we not have a show about these guys? Because I would watch the hell out of a show about, like... W, j- like WKRP in Cincinnati, but, like, WOLF in Storybrooke? Yeah, just, like, fairy tale people running a fairy tale radio station in a town where fairy tale people live. That would be fucking awesome. Oh, my God. I... Yes. I want that show so much. But Emma skids out because... Wait, wait. Also, don't forget that they do the ad copy. The show is brought to you by Granny's Diner. Granny's Diner. Better than you remember. So this is leaning pretty heavily on Granny's not actually having good food. I... Well, also, when they talk about it being cold out by the town line because of the ice wall, they're like, man, it's always something at the town line, isn't it? This show... This this little radio station is so self-aware. I love it. Yeah, I, I just... I can't get enough of this radio station. But Emma's car skids out and she sees the ice queen briefly. Yeah. So she's, they're playing like a little game of hide and go seek. And Emma immediately pulls her gun on the ice queen. I love how the ice queen isn't really like running away from her so much as casually. It's like an inverse of a horror movie. I was just going to say it's the opposite of It Follows. Well, um, yeah, she's she's walking at a normal pace and Emma is running after her and not catching up. Yeah, it's like the opposite of every horror movie ever where like Jason is walking at like a normal pace and the girl's running, but he still catches up to her, except the opposite. Yeah. Okay, so, meanwhile, Belle is wearing a super fucking cute outfit. She's wearing a kicky little mini skirt and a yellow top with a ruffle on it. It is super cute. Now, I've kind of given up on the on tracking Belle's outfits. But she's wearing this super cute yellow outfit at a time when her relationship with Rumpel is probably at its best. So, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have given that up so soon. Plus, she's totally ready to spit poison in Newman's face. <laughs> yes, it does have a little frill around the neck. That is accurate. Although it is super cute. The whole outfit. Also, it's really sexy. Like, lacy sexy, not librarian sexy, which is what she normally does. Yeah, it's showing off the actress's very impressive legs. Especially since the camera's set so low and she's wearing those heels. God, everything about that outfit is just really well done. But apparently Will Scarlet broke into the library and is nuzzling a copy of Alice in Wonderland, which is actually really depressing, but... Speaking of people waking up in unpleasant places... Okay, so Hook wakes up on the dock. Rumpel told him to meet him on the dock in the morning. Did he just then go to the dock and sleep there because he figured it would be easier than, like, trying to get up early enough to meet Rumpelstiltskin? Also, where has Hook been staying? Oh, that's sad. I think Hook doesn't have a place to stay. I think you're right. So Rumpel's like, what's up, buddy? It's time for us to go on a little magical adventure. And he whoops, uh, he whoops the sorcerer's apprentice's broom into his hand and then makes it start doing the sorcerer's apprentice broom walk. Yeah, he turns, he anthropomorphizes it the way it is in the, in the short and it begins walking and they start following. 
Because, you know, tracking spells, sometimes they exist. And, and sometimes they're stylistically consistent with the style of whoever they're tracking. Well, I mean, that's what we saw last episode when they had this snowflake uh, tracking spell to find the Ice Queen. Yeah, it's new to this season, though, I feel like. Yeah, uh, before it was just whatever object you cast the locator spell on would fly. Right. Yeah, that broom should be flying if we're going by old, but they're not looking for the Wicked Witch of the West, so... Which, if they were, but oh, that's... Oh, oh. But anyway, back in the flashback, Anna's all, so, like, you should probably tell me what the deal is with my parents, and Rumpel leans in real close, and he's like, it's literally what your mom wrote in her diary, you idiot. They were afraid of your sister, and they were looking for a way to steal her power. Full stop. End of story. Hope it was worth it. This is a good scene because he's basically calling her out on, like, this whole thing was super fucking pointless. And you had to know it was pointless. Seriously. It was really pointless. Well, I mean, not for Rumpelstiltskin. He got the hat. Yeah, and he's like... And then he monologues about what the hat is, which is basically that it steals power from other magical people. And then when it has enough power, you put it on your own head and it makes you super powerful, which raises the question, is it worth... Having to wear that hat all the time. Is it worth having infinite power if you have to wear that fucking hat all the time? But the context of this was they were looking for something to remove Elsa's powers, and the only thing strong enough is this hat, which... We know that's not true. We know they had the urn. Yeah. And also, apparently, the Snow Queen could stop them because she neutralized her powers last episode. Whatever. Anyway. Probably could have just asked Peter Pan to make them a bracelet, but... Yeah. Anyway, Anna's like, you know, that apprentice will still stop you even if he is a mouse because this is Disney and we're not here to say that mice can't do shit. Sorcerer's Apprentice Mouse jumps from the rafter onto Rumpel's hand, which somehow shocks him into dropping the one thing that can control him. Well, he bites him. The mouse bites him. He bites the... I'm sorry, being stabbed doesn't affect Rumpelstiltskin at all, but a mouse bite was like, oh no, my one weakness. Yeah, well, he drops his dagger and Anna picks it up and is like, stay back. And then when he stays back, she's really quick on the uptake. Which, okay, this is the thing I remembered because I do really like Anna in that moment because she grabs the knife and she points it at him and she's, stay back. And he stays back and she's like, wait, why are you actually staying back? And I was like, okay, I like you in this one moment. But she, very quickly, she's like, oh, I get it. The dagger controls you. Duh. She's like, okay, here's the deal. Send me and the hat back to Arendelle and never hurt me or my sister ever the end. And turn the apprentice back into a human. Yeah, no safeguards for your future husband, which seems, eh. or any children you might have, which eh. does not seem like you really thought this through, but hey. Whatever, it's fine. Also, I mean, thinking to throw in don't hurt me or my sister ever at the last second, that was... Don't hurt me or any of my loved ones ever. There. Well, I think the problem with that is that that's too vague. Like, I think that it has to be something which could form, which could legally form a, a gift class, right? Family. Well, even family. Like, anyone she's blood related to? What about the Ice Queen? Yeah. Actually, that would have been really great. Wait, no, now I take it back. That's what it should have been. It should have been me or my family, right? Yeah. And then they should have had some plan in the present that 
to finally take out the Ice Queen. And Rumpelstiltskin should have been invested in it at this point because the Ice Queen was, like, freezing his shop or something. And now he was going to actually be part, an integral part of the plan to stop her. And then that should be the episode where we get the flashback where we find out that she's actually Elsa's aunt. And then that flashback happens simultaneously with whatever's happening in the present where Rumpelstiltskin finds out that he can't stop her because of Anna's order way back in this flashback. Although, at this point, we do already know that yeah, they should have saved that. Yeah. Well, you know what they say. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yes. Wait, what were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say you can't unmelt something, but that's not true. You can't unmelt a snowman. It's not even an expression. Okay, but if you melt a snowman, but then that particular piece of water refreezes, and then you make a new snowman out of the same piece of water... It would have it to an... evaporate and then be snowed again. Is it this... If you if you refreeze it, it's just going to be a puddle of ice. I grew up in Florida. I don't know how any of this works. So Anna has Rumple bamf her back to Arendelle and he flips out. But luckily for Rumple, she didn't specifically say, and send the knife with me. So the knife stays behind. And that's why Anna doesn't still have the knife. Which is a shame because a lot of trouble could have been avoided if Anna still had the knife. If I was Rumpelstiltskin, I just would have... He knows that she was about to get married. I would have just teleported over and killed the shit out of Kristoff. You're really into killing Kristoff. I'm not really into killing Kristoff. You were really into killing Kristoff. You were the one who was like, Elsa should just sacrifice him so she could take out all of Hans's brothers last episode. Oh, I did say that last week, didn't I? Whatever. Kristoff is expendable. You heard it here first. So, uh, it's time for a little... We haven't seen Rumple like, seriously torture anyone in a while. Yeah, although he's not really torturing anyone here, either. Back in Storybrooke, uh, Rumple and Hook get, a. Uh... The broom leads them to a house. A house where the sorcerer's apprentice is staying. And, by the way, Rumple is, like, so obsessed with getting even with this guy. He didn't really do anything to him except try to do his job. And... Rumple pulls out the hat and the Sorcerer's Apprentice says, Every dark one tries, every one fails. And Rumple's like, well, I'm not your typical dark one. And we will see that in the dark one season. It's we... true. It's true. And Rumple's like, oh, your arc words are obsolete. And he sucks him into a hat. That's what happens. Hook holds him down and Rumpelstiltskin sucks him into a hat. Okay, I couldn't find it. I was looking for it and... I, just, I really wish I knew where it was, but I feel like because of who our audience is, someone who listens to us might know what I'm talking about, or perhaps even be this person. But back when Once Upon a Time was airing, there was someone out there who was doing illustrations of various Once Upon a Time episodes, but they were drawing the characters with the old Disney characters. So in this episode, it's Adam from Beauty and the Beast and the old permed wig hook from Peter Pan shoving Mickey Mouse into the hat. And I wanted to find it and I Google was not helpful, although I did find a lot of really funny Once Upon a Time memes. But if anyone out there remembers this, I think it was a Tumblr blog, hmm. if anyone out there remembers it or is that person, please send me a link to it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to look up this sort of thing just because, you know, you just end up getting a bunch of Disney stuff. I'm usually really good at Googling, but I couldn't I couldn't find a phrase that helped me out here. So Rumple's like, ha, I captured the sorcerer's apprentice. And Hook's like, yeah, that sure is something that happened. Hook is underacting a lot in this scene. 
Yeah. Oh, wait. And I, I do want to say, though, um, since I brought up how apparently on the show doing really bad things, if it's for true love, isn't really bad. So not me, not in my heart am I going to forgive Hook. But as far as the show's morality goes, I'm going to go ahead and give him a pass on all the Bell stuff. Hmm. Um, if only to say that this moment is actually the first really villainous thing that Hook does. Being Rumpelstiltskin's henchman so that they can attack the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Well, remember, he did her love, so they made her... Okay, that did happen prior to this in time, but not... We haven't seen it yet. Also, nobody cares, which... God, I love that plot. I love that plot because it's the worst and it looks like it's going to be a thing and then it just isn't. But we'll get to that eventually. So, back in Arendelle... Kristoff is talking to the horrifying reindeer puppet, and I want to put this out there. I think I mentioned it at the time when it was introduced, but okay. But so, you hate that fucking puppet? Because I do. Not that I hate the puppet, which I do, but I think that animal... Okay, people say that puns are the lowest form of humor. I disagree. Animal reaction shots are the lowest form of humor. Yeah, no, uh, yes. Yeah, like... When something embarrassing happens and it cuts to a dog and they have it put its paw over its face, that is the worst kind of humor ever, and that is all the Sven puppet does. Yeah, the Sven puppet is just there to, like, overreact really broadly to what's happening in a way that only makes it clearer that it's a puppet, which is weird because the rest of the show is realistic, so having this one really unrealistic element is real uncanny valley. And having it there only for comic relief in scenes that aren't that serious anyway, like, it, it's really weird. Like, it you, feels like a different show takes over whenever the puppet's there. You know what they should have done instead? Like, a real body horror Olaf? <laughs> <laughs> like, like Jack Frost from the Jack Frost horror movie, Snowman? Yes. I would have been way into that. So... Anna appears in the doorway of Sven's stall and hugs Kristoff. And and then they make another joke about him smelling bad, which I'm really done with. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was like a couple of lines in the movie, but they made it this running thing because, you know, Anna kisses him and then she kind of looks down and he's like, oh, what is it? I took a bath this morning. And she's like, no, it's that I went on this secret mission to find out that my parents didn't. Oh, no, no, it's not that. Because it cuts to like three seconds of the reindeer making this wrinkled nose face. And it's like, really? That was something necessary? You put effort into making this worse bad. I'm sorry, go on. Anyway, Anna's like, oh, my secret mission was a failure because I went to prove that my parents didn't really hate and fear Elsa. But it turns out they did hate and fear Elsa. It turns out that my mom wasn't lying to her diary. Ugh. I'm sorry, Anna, like, your your mission made literally no sense at any point in it, and this is just the accumulation of that. This whole tangent was really stupid, but it did give us the Bo Peep episode, and it did give us this episode, so, eh. I guess it was, I guess her mission was worth it because she taught David how to kill. <laughs> so. Yeah, there you go. So back in Storybrooke, Hook's all... Ah, uh, I know that you were lying about switching out the dagger because I saw you use the dagger to get the hat. And so now you don't have leverage over me anymore. And 
Okay, okay. First of all, Rumpel gives Hook his hook back. But then he's like, wait, I do have leverage over you because I have the security tape from the house where we just killed that guy. And Hook's like, okay, but you're going to be on that tape too. And Rumpel's like, nope, I'm using magic to remove myself from the tape. Look, dude, if you can use magic to alter the tape, then the tape proves nothing. Well, I don't think anyone else knows that he can use magic to manipulate images, although it should be obvious that he can do that. I mean, this is just a dog told us that you killed someone all over again. Hook's like, okay, fine, whatever, but I have my hook back now, so I'm not evil anymore. I I don't have that darkness in me, which seems like it's a tangent, but it was just... (laughs) Wait, wait, so Hook is like, I have my hook back, the evil hand is gone... I'm done with this story. And Rumpel's like, wait, before you let it go, just know that the hand wasn't actually evil. I was fucking with you. And you were like, oh, good, an excuse to be evil. Which, not really. It was an excuse to be like a David-level asshole, which is bad, don't get us wrong. But It was an excuse to be like slightly more violent. But Rumpel says, like, I was fucking with you because... You keep on attacking Belle, and that's really messed up, dude. That is really messed up. I mean, yeah, it's bad. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It's bad. So since you, you know, repeatedly attacked my wife, I'm just going to use this tape, you know, as blackmail, and you're going to do whatever I want. You're my, like, manservant now. Oh my. Yeah. I'm willing to bet... This launched just so many fanfics. Oh my god, so many. So, uh, back in the police station, it feels like it's been a while since we've been to the police station. Yeah, I feel like we haven't used this set in a long time, it's true. Anyway, Will Scarlet is locked up in the junk tank. And Emma's like, um, I'm a corrupt cop, so really the thing I'm angry with you about is interrupting me during my date. Yeah, he's... She says, you're in jail because you interrupted my date, and uh, tell me why uh, Tell me why you broke into the library and were snuggling up with this copy of Alice in Wonderland, or you're going to rot in here. And also, you ripped out this page uh, portraying the Red Queen, so what's that about? And he's like, huh, it's almost like I don't have to tell you anything. He's like, huh. It's almost like this is a dropped plot thread from a different TV show that doesn't exist anymore. It's almost like this is a plot thread that was very, very firmly resolved within that storyline, but they had to get rid of that, otherwise my presence in this show would make no goddamn sense. See, that does, I, having not watched that show, I have, no, I have no horse in this race. But she's like, okay, fine. Will you tell me who punched you in the face? And then Hook walks in and Will's like, uh, well, I've seen how you police, so no. Seriously, Emma is such a corrupt cop. I He probably assumes that she put Captain Hook up to it, right? Yeah, or at the very least, she wouldn't care. Which, let's be honest, she actually probably wouldn't. Yeah. If Hook was like, yeah, I saw him breaking into the library and I punched him in the face, she'd be like, oh, that's what I would have done. So, uh, David and Elsa are also there in the jail for some reason. Well, they've got the record books and they're, I guess, looking for the Snow Queen. I think they just didn't want to shoot another scene, so they put them in the background so they could just do this scene in the same place. Yeah, it's weird because they brought all those books to the apartment. And then they just brought them all to the jail. So, anyway, David's like, we've gone through all the books and guess what? 
it turns out that the Snow Queen also is not on this census for some reason. And we're not able to make the logical leap that she might just have been using another name. She probably came over with something other than the curse, which actually is true, but you know. Yeah, since the fake name she was using didn't appear in the census books, she clearly didn't come over in the curse. I mean, she didn't, but their evidence is super weak. So, back in a more interesting subplot... Operation Mongoose? Operation Mongoose is going on, where Henry goes up to Regina and he's like, You know what I realized? Rumpelstiltskin was way more evil than you, and, you know, he things are going really well for him, so he might know something we don't. Like, he was a worse villain, but he's getting his happy ending. So, what I need to do is infiltrate. I need to go work for him and find out what he knows about the author. Yeah. Actually, though, he starts by referring to Rumpelstiltskin as his grandfather, saying that his grandfather will know what to do. And Regina is all of us when she disdainfully scoffs, David. He's like, no, no, my other grandfather, the one who's competent. And Henry uses, we've seen him use manipulation on people before, and he uses some hardcore manipulation on Rumpel. Proving that he is, in fact, his grandson. Yeah, he goes to uh, Mr. Goldshop and he's like, hey, I was wondering if I could have a part-time job here. Because now that my father's dead, you're my closest link to him. And I just want to be near you because you remind me of Neil. You know, your son. Your dead son, your dead son who died. Your dead son who you spent so much energy trying to get to because he's like the only thing you love other than Belle. And so Rumpel gives him a job as his apprentice. And he gives him the same broom. And then the music cue is really a glor- really gloriously calls back to the Fantasia music on that sequence. And God, this I wish they did more with Rumpel being with uh, Rumpel having Henry as his apprentice. Oh, because God, this seemed like it was going to lead into Henry learning magic from either his mother or his grandfather. And neither one of those things ends up happening. It's funny how sad we are about Henry not learning magic, considering how overpowered he gets with things that aren't magic. Well, things that are different magic. Magic adjacent. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't used the heart of the truest believer in a while. Yeah, he does use it again briefly when they're in New York, though. Yeah. So, let's talk about all of the Frozen imagery that we got this episode. So, Frozen... There was less of it here. I mean, there's this weird running thing with Kristoff smelling bad, which, seriously, it was a couple of one-off jokes in the movie, and it's been mentioned so much in the show. I think this episode abandoned the Frozen imagery to, in order to lean really hard on the Sorcerer's Apprentice imagery. We got the hat, and we got the walking broom. Mm. So, that, that was what we did this episode. And we got Mickey fucking Mouse. Oh my god, you guys, the show, the show. Right, let's talk about the fashion. Um, can, I just love the outfit that Belle wore for a little bit. Oh, yeah, the, that was definitely the MVP outfit of the episode. The oh. ruffle thing with the cord. Sort of, it wasn't like a leopard print skirt, but it had this, uh, it had a pattern on it. Yeah, it was, it was black and white patterned. Um, I'm not, I, I have to go back and look at it, but yeah. And she had like these yellow... Pumps. Ri- yeah, which were ridiculously hard to walk in, I would imagine. Oh, beauty is pain, Max. Beauty is pain. <laughs> anyway. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, I did not care for uh, Emma's dress. Yeah, Emma's date outfit was... It was fine, but it wasn't the kind of thing that you wear and you're like, oh my god, that, that dress. 
It's not the sort of thing you wear when walking down a stairway while Six Pence on the Richer plays in the background. Right? It does not create a slow motion walk when you come into the room. Which was definitely what they were going for. and Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have Jennifer Morrison to work with and that's what you're going to give us? Anyway. I guess they just really, really wanted to hold on to this, like, purity thing, which is ridiculous because we all know Emma. Yeah. You know, got teen pregnant. I'm not slut shaming her. I'm just saying she's not a she's not a virgin. white person. She's not a virginal person. Also, with her coloring, it doesn't work. But speaking of, you thought that I thought the baby blue worked on Regina. I really did. Well, Lana Priya is, of course, beautiful and flawless. But I don't know. I prefer her in stronger colors, more striking colors. But I do like the fact that she's going back to the more suit jacket looks after the t-shirt they had her in last episode. Right. Well, I mean, you prefer her in more striking looks, but they're trying to soften her look as she goes for her redemption as well. And if they're going to soften her look, at least they put her in something that was really flattering for her. Yeah. Also, that baby blue calls back to Elsa, which is important because just the way Elsa barricades herself in Frozen... This season is all about Regina barricading herself away from the people she loves. So it looked good on her, softened her image, and I think it ties her into Elsa thematically. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, good choices all around. Did I bring you around? Uh, no, oh. but you made your point well. I acknowledge and appreciate your viewpoint even though I do not agree with it. Okay. I acknowledge your viewpoint as valid. Thank you, I feel very validated. So that's going to do it for this week, I think. Yeah, I think that's about it. So we are partially Patreon-supported. Um, I want to give a quick thank you to our $5 and above patrons, Cassidy, Alec, Alex, Ryan, Beryl, and Patricia. Thank and, you. We appreciate it. And if you want to be one of those patrons, you can head over to our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com, and find out how. And also listen to all of our past episodes. Plus some other fun stuff. So... If you like the show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. If you have a question or comment, send us an email at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or tweet at us at ilovetvzines. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. You're as cold as ice You're willing to sacrifice our love You never take